Well, good morning, Axis Church. How's everybody doing today? Happy Independence Day. Uh, today we celebrate freedom. It's always a great reminder that freedom comes at a high cost, and so we're grateful for uh, those who pay that cost in our country, and we're also grateful for Christ who gave us ultimate freedom from sin. Amen? So glad you guys are here today. Uh, just real quick, about 10 seconds, tell the person next to you, if money was no object, where would you want to go on vacation? Money, no object, where would you go on vacation? And go, 10 seconds. Okay, how many of you chose Hawaii? Raise your hand if you chose Hawaii. Okay, a couple of you. How many of you chose a vacation in Europe somewhere? Okay, a couple of you, a few of you guys. How many of you chose Australia or New Zealand? Raise your hand, all right? Great. How many of you chose China? How many of you chose China? I'm just kidding. Nobody. Nobody's like, I don't want to go to China. Um, anyway, I just, this is a joke. This is a joke. Um, how many of you want to go to the Holy Land? Raise your hand if you want to go there. Okay, a couple of you are like, oh, man, we should have said that. Shoot. Why didn't we choose that? You know, it's like the spiritual answer. Um, and uh, how many of you said, I'd just like to stay home? All right, raise your hand. Paul wants to stay home. Great. All right, so this summer we're in a series called Staycation. And really the idea is, you know what, there's a lot of places in the Bible where it just says to stay. Just stay. In fact, what it says is stay humble or maybe stay in the moment or stay authentic or, or today stay positive. In other words, what we've been talking about is all the times in the Bible where God just says, look, just stay, just remain in me and remain in place and enjoy where you are. And so that's what we're talking about today is staying positive in the midst of all of the chaos around us. It just seems like the news today, both around the world and at home, just lacks peace. There are finances that are tight, global wars that are heartbreaking, social media that is maddening, relationships that are stressed. But in the middle of that, we have a God who loves us and who says things like, I have good plans for your life. A God who says things like, don't be anxious about anything. A God who says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. A God who says, make the most of every opportunity. And a God who says, don't forget, I'm doing a good work in your life, and I will complete it. And those are the words of a faithful God who encourages us in the midst of the chaos and the mess, and God just says, I am with you. And if you're going to memorize a scripture, one of the scriptures that is most memorized and most talked about in terms of the blessings of God comes from a chapter in Jeremiah, Jeremiah 29, 11. It is often quoted, but before we quote it and before we talk about it, I want to give you the background of the story. It's found in Jeremiah 29, but in that book, Jeremiah is addressing the people of God who are now taken captive because of their disobedience in a place called Babylon. And King Nebuchadnezzar attacked Jerusalem in 606 BC, and he took the people captive. And this was one of the first deportations of the people. And as a point of reference, it was during this captivity that people like Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego uh, you hear their stories, Daniel in the lion's den, and then the fiery furnace. And the Babylonians forced their captives to march 800 miles from Jerusalem to Babylon. Physical exhaustion, spiritual challenges, emotional, um, being emotionally drained. 
God's people were suffering. So much so that in Psalm 137, it tells us about their mood. And it says, by the rivers of Babylon, we sat and wept as we remembered Zion. In other words, as they remembered everything that God had for them in the past, they wept because they missed that. Well, during this time, God had instructed his prophet Jeremiah to write a letter to those slaves in Babylon. And he tells them, first of all, you're going to be there for a while, so get used to it. Have children there, get married, build homes, plant gardens, because you're going to be in Babylon for 70 years. 70 years, imagine. And it is in that context that God has Jeremiah write the words that you know so well. He's writing them to say that I want to encourage you in the midst of the storm. Here are the words in Jeremiah 29.10. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my gracious promises to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. And wouldn't you know, 68 years later, in 538 B.C., Persians' army conquered Babylon, and two years later, in 536 B.C., Cyrus the Persian king allowed the Jews to return home 70 years exactly as God predicted. Now, this verse that's in the middle of Jeremiah 29, verse 11, is one that is often pulled out of context. It's often memorized, and people will say things like, Listen, God does have plans for you. He doesn't want to harm you. He's going to give you hope and he's going to give you a future. And what they mean by that is that God's going to make you prosperous. God's going to bless you in some way. God's going to give you in some way. God's going to, he's going to give you health. He's going to give you wealth. He's going to give you all of this good stuff. And they say that based on this verse, but in that they forget the context of what was actually happening. What was happening was the people of God were suffering. The people of God were in exile. The people of God, of God were away from their home. And it's one of the most misrepresented passages because in this verse, he's saying that in the middle of the storm, in the middle of the hardship, in the middle of the hard, God is with you. And there are churches, by the way, both here and around the world, that they build an entire philosophy based on this kind of passage. And they say that God does want you to be prosperous. God wants you to be healthy, and God wants you to be wealthy, and God wants you to have all these good things, and it should be devoid of trouble. And there are people in particular in Africa today that are buying this message because in the middle of hardship and struggle, it's such a good message to hear that God's just going to give and give and give and give and want you to be prosperous in every way. But in this context, what we learn is it's the exact opposite, that it's in the middle of the struggle that then God is carrying out his will for you. And so what we want to do today is kind of say, listen, in the middle of all the hardships of life, how can we as God's people respond? What does God want to teach us? And here's the first thing I want you to know is that God does have a plan for your life, and it is good. 
he does. And that is so encouraging to me because to know that somebody has a handle on what's going on in my future is a good thing for me. Everybody wants to know about the future these days, so much so that some people are even calling psychic hotlines to say, oh man, somebody give me an answer out there. And we're believing these kind of things. It reminds me of a cute little story about a lonely frog who telephoned the psychic hotline and asked what his future holds. And his personal psychic advisor tells him, you're going to meet a beautiful young girl who will want to know everything about you. And the frog is thrilled. He's like, that is great. Will I meet her at a party? No, says the psychic, you're going to meet her in biology class. <laughs> everybody, everybody wants to know about their future, you know. She's going to know him personally. Well, we don't seek psychics for our guidance. Why? Because we know the only one who actually knows the future, that God himself holds the future. He knows what will happen in your life. He knows what you're going through today, right now. And so many people misunderstand the idea of God's plan or God's will we often picture God's plan as being like a road that if you're on that road, you're fine, but if you detour off, somehow you're going to get lost out there, and maybe you'll make it back, or maybe you won't. I like to think about God's will more like a compass. In other words, God is your true north. He provides direction for your life. He shows you where to go. And, and yeah, you may veer off a little bit here or there, but then continue to move in the direction of God. Corey Ten Boom one time said, never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. We trust him. And so in this passage, Jeremiah 29, 11, he tells you some things that are applicable to you in your life today, even in the midst of the storm. He says he has plans to prosper you. And some of you immediately tag in on that word, and, and that's where you're like, yes, he's going to give me some money. I'm going to get a check in the mail. And God is going to be my publisher's clearinghouse. But the word in Hebrew actually is the word shalom. And the word shalom is a word that you would often say to somebody as you greeted them. It literally means peace be with you. Peace be with you. Shalom. Peace be with you. Another way, a deeper meaning of this word is not just peace. It is this deep abiding peace where God is saying that in your life, I'm going to bring you fullness. I'm going to bring you wholeness. I'm going to bring my plans in your life to completion. And in the context of this passage, it makes total sense. He's telling the people of Israel that one day after 70 years in captivity, I'm going to bring you to wholeness. I'm going to bring this plan to completeness. You're going to have a peace that passes all understanding in your life. That's what that means. And so when you read this text and you go, God wants to give you prosperous, he wants to make you prosperous, he's saying, I want to make your life full in the good and the bad. In John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus said it this way, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I've come that they may have life and have it to the full. In other words, in the hardship, in the struggle, in the difficulty, I want to be with you and I'm going to bring my plan to completion in your life. The second thing is he says he's going to protect you. Specifically, he says he's going to protect you from evil. And that's tough for some of those individuals to understand because as they think about this, they say, wait a minute, are, we're going through a time of difficulty right now. We're going through trouble right now. And some of us are too. But the Bible actually says you're going to have trouble in the world. So what does he mean? Plans not to harm you. What he means is that God's going to take every event in your life, both good and bad, and if you'll allow him, he can turn that and he can make something good out of the difficult. 
And that is such an important lesson for me to learn. And by the way, it's very similar to what I want for my kids. Some of you guys right now, you're in some of the hardest times because your kids are little and you feel like you're exhausted and you're going from one diaper change to the preschool. You're trying to figure out how do I navigate answering the same question a hundred times. I might lose my mind. Some of you have now moved into elementary stage and the questions are more curious. And now they're dealing with a little bit of challenges or maybe they're being bullied in school or Maybe they're just trying to figure out their identity. And then, Lord have mercy, they get to junior high. Amen. It's one of the best times. It's one of the best times as they're trying to figure out life and their emotions are all over the place. And, and they really are trying to figure out how they fit into this world. And not only that, you're starting now to drive them to sporting events. And they can't drive themselves. So you're going crazy through all this. And now they're starting to date and they get into high school and it gets more serious as they're making bigger decisions and grades actually matter. And now they're thinking about their future and you're trying to help them navigate through that. And then you get to the stage we're in and you get all these young adults who are trying to make life decisions. And it's difficult even then. And through all of it, you know what we want for our kids? That they would love God that they would love people, and that in the middle of the difficult challenges of life, that somehow they would, they would be okay, and that they would have a life that's full and blessed and, and, and peaceful. And that's what we want for our kids, and by the way, that's what God wants for you. He knows you're going to get your heart broken. He knows you're going to have challenges. He knows you're going to have struggles, and he's just saying to you in the middle of all of that, just trust me, because I'm going to bring about good in your life. I'm going to protect you from that evil and I want you to stay in it even when things are hard. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, it says the Lord is faithful. He will strengthen and protect you from the evil one. And we have confidence in the Lord that you are doing, uh, that you are doing and will continue to do the things that we command. In Psalm 34 verse 17, it says the righteous cry out and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from those troubles. And the Lord is close to the brokenhearted, saves those who are crushed in spirit. In other words, as you go through the journey, the challenges, he will be with you. He'll protect you. And then it says he's going to give you hope. And don't we all need hope today? It's one of the best things. It's one of the things that I hold on to the most. That in the midst of ups and downs, I know that God's got a better day ahead. And I know I'm going to hold on to that hope. And that God's faithful. And we all need something to hope for. I, I think I've told you that cute little story before, true story, because we all need to discern whether it's true hope or false hope. And this uh, preacher from St. Louis area was telling about visiting a nursing home along with his wife, Elaine, and they see a little lady there in a wheelchair, and she's about 80 years old, and she's wrinkled, and she's in that wheelchair, and it was mother, Mother's Day, and so they were visiting the mothers, and she had a beautiful corsage on and Elaine says to this little lady, oh, what a beautiful flower. I bet you're a mother. And the quaint little lady shot back, no, not yet, not yet. Well, she's got to have something to hope for. There's a difference between false hope and true hope. False hope is probably not going to happen. True hope. It's based on the promise of a faithful God. Romans chapter 5 says, And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, whom he has given us. It is a hope in God that does not disappoint. And friends, that's one of the things that encourages me every day that I believe those words and I believe and trust in the God who said them, that he's going to give you hope and he's going to give you a future. 
God wanted the Israelites to know that, look, you're not forgotten in the midst of your hardship. You have a bright future ahead. And all of us, all of us want that, both for ourselves and for our families. We want our kids to know, how do you navigate through tough things? How do you make it? Henry Blackaby wrote the book, Experiencing God, and he speaks about raising our kids in the Lord, and he said this, you, just, you don't just want them to know the Bible story of Daniel, you want to raise up a Daniel. More than him knowing just the life of Samuel, you want him to become a Samuel who's always listening to the call of his father. More than knowing the story of Esther, you want to raise an Esther, an Esther who is faithful to God, and he's right, guys. We don't want just kids who know the stories of the Bible. We want kids who know the God of the Bible, who knows that God can live out his story within their lives, and they can then make a difference in their own life. And so we encourage them to seek God's will for their life. Be in the Word on a regular basis. Ask God, God, help me through this challenge, whatever it is. Teach your kids at an early age to be able to trust in the Lord with all their heart and lean not on their own understanding. Romans chapter 12 says, don't conform any longer to the pattern of this world. And we have kids today who are conforming to the pattern of this world. It's found in their cell phone. It's found in how they get their media sources. It's found in how they find their own identity and their own self-esteem in those ways. And what we're teaching them, what we're trying to say is, let's not trust in the pattern of this world. Let's be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve God's will. His will for you is good. In order for us to do that, in order for us to understand the future, we have to teach them the things of God on a regular basis and tell them things like this, God has good plans for you. God's got something good for you. And you may look at your kid today and be like, I don't know. That kid's a mess. Have you seen them? They can't pay attention. Listen, some of the kids with ADD, they make the best pastors. You know what I'm saying? Amen. <laughs> Josh Romano, for example, all right? Josh Romano, for example. And it's just the way it is. God somehow takes our bad and turns it into his good. And so what I'd say today is you need to trust and obey God's plan. I know that seems basic. But God's part is he has a plan. Our part is to trust and obey that plan. How do you do that? One of the things I've learned is you do it through patience. Usually the problem is not discerning God's plan. It's being patient enough to wait on his timetable. James chapter 5 says, be patient then, brothers, into the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop and how patient he is for the autumn and spring rains. You too be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Be patient, wait, wait for God's plan. That's hard for us. Richard Swinson, one time in his book, The Overload Syndrome, writes, even our sentences are peppered with such words as time crunch, fast food, rush hour, frequent flyer, expressway, overnight delivery, and rapid transit. These products and services we use further uh, attest to our hurry. We send packages by Federal Express. You use a long-distance company called Sprint, manage our personal finances on Quicken, diet on SlimFast, and we even swim in trunks called Speedos. <laughs> and that's just the reality. Everything is fast, man. And God just says, just wait. Just wait. I love the passage in Habakkuk chapter 2. Where Habakkuk writes, I'll stand my watch and I'll station myself on the ramparts and I'll look to see what God will say to me and what answer I'm to give to this complaint. And then the Lord replies, write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets so the herald may run with it. For the revelation awaits an appointed hour. 
It speaks of the end and will not prove false. Though it lingers, wait for it. It certainly will come and not delay. God's time is not my timing. We're going to have to wait on it. But God's going to give you a message in your pain. Dave Stone, pastor of, in Kentucky, used to tell a story about a girl named Jenny. And Jenny did a back handspring one time like she had done many times in high school. She landed wrong and she became paralyzed. What would God do with this story? She eventually then went on to graduate from high school. Her whole class knew what had happened to her. And it was a Christian high school. They were allowed to put a verse of Scripture, favorite verse of Scripture on the program. And Jenny wrote Isaiah chapter 40, verse 30. Those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. They will mount up on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. And one day Jenny will walk and she will run. But right now she waits. And so what does she do in the meantime? Well, Jenny got involved in a project called the Mobility Project collecting used wheelchairs from people in the United States and then leading mission trips to third world countries where she takes hundreds of wheelchairs and distributes them to children and adults who cannot get around unless they are carried. But she does more than that. She gives them the wheelchair, but she also gives them the gospel of Christ as well because in the middle of the hard, they need to know that there's a God who loves them. Talk about learning the will of God in the midst of the hardship. And so first you wait. And then secondly, you surrender to it. In our prayer model here, we use P-R-A-Y, and the Y stands for yield. And that basically says, God, I'm going to ask you for things, but I'm also going to say, God, not my will, but your will be done. I want to yield to your will in my life. I want to see what your will is, and then I want to wait for it. Because the Bible says, listen, in 119, Psalm 119, your word is a lamp to my feet, a light into my path. I want to understand your word, God. I want to understand what you have in store for me. I want to understand your good plan for me. And then I want to surrender to that plan, and I want to continue to be in the word, and I want to understand the instruction manual. And and when I do that, and when I follow your word, I know that maybe it's going to take a while for it to all flesh out but I'm going to trust it. And God, whatever happens in the good or in the bad, I'm going to trust you because I know that you have a plan for my life. And I want to learn about that plan and I want to know that plan. I want to trust it. Some of you right now today, you're in the hardest time of your life. Somebody just yesterday told me, I'm in the darkest period of my life ever, ever. And so how do you encourage somebody who's in the middle of that? You encourage them by saying, look, he who began a good work in you is going to be faithful. He'll complete it. Trust the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. He will make your path straight. You just got to hang on in the middle of this. Many of you know that our family is uh, going through a challenging time, and and, uh, Jonathan has been diagnosed with uh, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, which is a a bit of an aggressive cancer, but it also responds aggressively to chemotherapy. And his kids are here, and he's going through today, and, and he's going through a a regiment, which is pretty aggressive to try to attack it, two weeks off, five days in the hospital uh, with, a, with a, a, a 20-hour chemo drip that he has. He, he's decided to kind of make the best of the situation. And, and so one of the ways he's done that is to write uh, some Facebook posts to all of us who are reading these and, and be encouraged by it. And so I, I thought, I, first of all, I thought I would show you this beautiful couple. Look at that. I told him, I, th- I think I sh- he should keep that dome. I like it. What do you think, Jim? You like that dome he's got? Yeah? Amen? Same. Um, 
listen, I, I think he looks pretty handsome there. And I think Julia looks very pretty there. And they, uh, he's writing these posts from the hospital. And maybe you've read them, but I thought I would just let him speak to you for a minute because he's in the middle of the hardship, okay? Here's what he says. He gives you a few principles. Number one, I'm not afraid at all. I wouldn't live a life at all if I got upset every time a somber doctor walked into the room and told me that I had cancer. I find that it's really important for me to have a good bedside manner and tell the doc that everything will be okay. This is the 21st century, doc. We have a lot of great medicines. Your patient is in the best of hands. Number two, people pray for blessings and think that blessings means easy. We always pray for stuff or for things that make our lives easier. Those are good to pray for. Keep doing that. But they are also kind of selfish blessings. Blessings are not by definition something that makes our lives more comfortable. Blessings are things that come to us that give us an opportunity to do something good for other people. One way that I hope to use this blessing is to be a good example. We will all, every one of us, face adversity in our lives. Don't be afraid of adversity and don't resent it. There's opportunity in everything. Number three. Every day is an awesome day. It is my responsibility to live up to it. Number four, difficult things do a lot for us. First, they are an opportunity to improve and strengthen ourselves and our faith. Second, they give us a platform to serve others through example and through the development of relationships together. Third, they give us a platform of faith lived. Fourth, they help us develop wisdom and gratitude. Number five. I love living an interesting life. Number six, I love these short ones, don't you? This is like getting right to the point, you know? Number six, I'm so blessed by good and easy things, too, that it's ridiculous. I have an amazing family. I have incredible friends. That's all of you. I have great work and fantastic coworkers. I have a church that I love. I have a community that I get to serve. I have great doctors. Mm-mm-mm. Just blessed. Thank you, everyone. Number seven, on the issue of prayer, people think that prayer is a linear thing. Me to God, God to me, you to God, God to you. It's actually a lot more than that. When we pray together, we submit ourselves together in a common cause before God. That means that there's a line, not just from us to God, but also between us, between one another. This is reflective of the greatest commands, love God and love each other. Truthfully, I'm uncomfortable being the subject of community prayer. I prefer the focus be elsewhere. But I didn't choose that element. God did. I do, however, recognize the importance of being together in common cause before God. We connect to each other through common prayer. Number eight, I am absolutely confident that God has me exactly where he wants me to be. While I expect to survive this, the statement is true whether I live or die. Pray for me that I have the discernment to see how I can use this opportunity to serve God and to serve the people around me. That's an important request that I have. Number nine, I am nothing but honored to be in this fight. Again, people think that cancer is a curse. When you are a sophomore and are chosen to go onto the football field for the varsity team, it isn't easy, but it's an honor. You do your best. If you're a Navy SEAL, you have to go to fight for something that you believe in. It's really difficult and risky, but it's still a good fight, and it's an honor. This is my fight today, and it's an honor. I'm not talking about the health fight. I'm talking about the opportunity to use the experience as well. I will do my best. So thank you for all the prayers, the cards, the meals, the texts, the, uh, the emails, the lawn work, and the encouragement that you have been sending. I'm very humbled and grateful. 
There are a lot of things that my family and I could not have done without you. You are each awesome. You all have been keeping me strong too. Please keep praying for Julia and the kids. Julia can be a worrier, but also a warrior. I will give updates from time to time. In the meantime, fight the good fight. We are exactly where God wants us to be. Isn't that great? Amen. And listen, he's taking advantage of the opportunity. One of the things he's doing is inspiring the people around him by walking. He already was walking on his property a lot, running miles before all this happened. Uh, The problem is he has to stay on floor number eight in the hospital, and it's only a 300-meter walk one way. So 300 meters walks one way, 300 back the other way. And he has been told that he's walked more miles than anybody else has walked. In fact, he's inspired other people to walk. A leukemia patient who was on a cane, had hardly got out of his room at all, saw Jonathan walking by and decided, perhaps I need to walk. The first day on his cane, and then he began to walk faster than normal, Jonathan wrote, even to the place where he got blisters on his feet. Yesterday, Jonathan wrote, I would like to walk a half marathon in a day. And indeed he did, 13.1 miles, walking 300 meters one way, 300 meters back the other, and he accomplished that goal. The writer of Proverbs said it this way, trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding, in all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. God has a plan for your life, friends. And today, even in the midst of the hard, you may realize and may have maybe now be realizing that God has you exactly where he wants you. In the midst of the challenge, in the midst of the difficulty, in the midst of the frustration, God has you right where he wants you, and he has not forgotten you. He has a plan for your life, a plan to prosper you, a plan to bring you to wholeness, to completion, to fullness, not to harm you, but to give you hope and a future. And that's the God we serve. God, we thank you so much for loving us. Thank you for leading people like Jonathan to forge a path for us, to to help us realize that as we navigate through the ups and downs of life, God, that you have us in your hands, that you're going to bring good about these things. And God, we trust that, and we believe that, and we are confident in that. And no matter what happens in our life, God, we know that when we follow you, that when you are our true north, that God, we continue to be drawn to you, be led by you. God, go your direction. And as we do that, you are transforming us. You are changing us. You are using us, God. And so today, God, we just declare as your people, we trust in your faithfulness and we thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray.